Welcome. So glad you're here this morning. This is your first time here. My name's Matt. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm so glad that you've joined us for worship this morning. If you're joining online for the first time, welcome. So glad you're joining us as well. We uh, just finished up a sermon series last week, Fear, Anxiety, Depression, Oh My. So I thought um, we would take a uh, twist here and go the positive route, and we're going to be talking about chasing, chasing happiness, chasing peace, um, chasing good things. So that's where we're going to be going over the next couple weeks and got a break in there and then a couple more weeks in the chasing series again. But before we jump into the series, Pastor Joe is up here and he's got some exciting news about what's coming up this fall with our community groups. Joe, what's happening? So uh, community groups are starting on September 12th and today the signups are officially open. So if you're interested in a community group, you should definitely sign up. Now, I want to tell you a little bit of the purpose of community groups. I want to tell you that through my own personal story of how I kind of uh, understood why community groups are important, okay? So probably, I was probably about 20 years old, right? I had just accepted Christ, and I had grown up learning a lot of the stories of the Bible, hearing things, kind of knowing what was going on. But um, I'll tell you what, the community group that I was in was monumental to my faith. It was the place where um, I, for pretty much the first time, I got to kind of experience the stories of the Bible in my life with others. The first time in my life ever. You know, I, I knew the stories were real, and I knew a lot of things about the stories and things like that, but I never dove d deep into them uh, so much so that I could then apply them to my life. So, you know, different things that characters would do and whatnot, and I'm like, oh, I should actually try to do that, and now I can practice that with the people in my group. And I'll tell you what, uh, I started growing in like exponentially when I started going to a community group. And I, I think it's been 12 years in a row. I have never been without a community group since that first group. Every single year of my life, I have been in a community group, whether I was leading it or whether I was just part of one, um, just because I love it. I, I love to experience groups. That's the place uh, where I get to apply the Bible to my personal life. And I think it's so important for every single believer uh, to be part of something like that. So if you've never experienced a community group before, I highly encourage you to try it, uh, to just dive in. I know it's a little scary at first. I remember my first community group, I was freaked out. I was like, I don't know, someone invited me to it. I was like, you know, I'll give it a try. And it was weird opening up the Bible with other people. I was like, oh, oh, I'm supposed to bring a Bible? Yeah, oh, oh, I got to bring my, oh, other people have notes in their Bible. Like it was a lot of new things for me, and I know it will be for you too, and that's okay, okay? So um, the way you can sign up, they're online. You can go to missionviewchurch.org and go to the More tab, and you'll hit Groups, or you can come see me at the Welcome Table after this. I'll be there to help you out, or any of the Welcome Team members. I'm sure they can kind of point you with their iPads on where to go. You can also do it on your phone. You go If you download the Church Center app, uh, find Mission View, go to the More tab again. You'll see Groups there, and you can sign up there, all right? So. This is cool, too. Like, uh, discipleship's a core value, right? This like, our mission, our, you know, what we do. And our discipleship pathway, the know, grow, and go piece, these community groups kind of fulfill each one of those in the discipleship pathway, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, uh, groups is where discipleship happens. Yeah. Um, and it happens alongside others, side by side. You all have, you will all have tremendous leaders, we have awesome leaders here at Mission View Church that will be side-by-side side with you, growing with you, helping you, caring for you. Um, when you need something, if you need to make a phone call at midnight because 
you have this sin struggle and you can call your community group leader. I just put them out. <laughs> Keep your phones off silence. <laughs> Sorry, Chad. That's right. That's right. That's right. But yeah, you know, um, so those are the people you want to call first. They're going to be by your side. They're going to be praying for you. And that's how discipleship happens. And the community group leaders are trained and ready to do those things with you. They're in the trenches. So. Yeah, you you do that training too, right? So you're resourcing them. They have Bible studies that you've actually written that go along with the weekend messages. Yeah. There's also some groups that will do some topical studies that are more pertinent, maybe their group, parenting or marriage, that kind of thing as well. Yeah, this year we're having a marriage group, which is really exciting. So. Awesome. So if anyone, uh, you know, just feels like they need a marriage tune-up or something like that, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, but marriage yeah. tune-up, you know, join that group. Uh, that's the wines, and so that'll be a good group. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. That's one of our core values here at Mission View Church. We do life together. Uh, there's, there's no such thing as a lone ranger when it comes to the kingdom of God. God calls us to be in relationship with one another. It's all throughout Scripture especially in the New Testament, as God talks about the church and the people, there's these, these phrases we can't avoid all throughout the New Testament, one another, one another. We see it over and over again, and there's this, this idea that we're supposed to be serving and walking a lot alongside one another all the time. I love telling this story, too, when I first moved to Mission View Church, and I was making one of my first hospital visits, going to the hospital and, you know, to care and pray over someone. I get to the ER, and I'm walking in, and it, you know how it's kind of open, but they have these like um, curtains or whatever that close it off. So you can kind of hear what's going on. So I, I get ready to open this curtain to go and pray for this person. And I overhear someone praying. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe the chaplain of the hospital's there praying for our, our congregant. And so I just wait patiently. And I'm like, wait a second, I recognize that voice. And it's Don Adams, the community group leader. He beats me to the hospital and he's already there praying over somebody from his group. But that's really the idea. That's really the idea behind community groups, that we would live life together, that we would care for one another well. And um, it's a beautiful thing um, when we do that. So I'd encourage you, if you've never been a part of a community group, join a community group this year, get online, check them out. And, um, and uh, if you need any help with that, talk to Joe. He'll be at the Welcome Center on your way out today. All right, you have your Bibles, the most awesome book on the planet. Go ahead and open up to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews today, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Talk about chasing happiness. The word happiness, I'm really interchangeable with this idea of joy that we get out of Scripture. I mean, it's even in our Declaration of Independence, right? It's, what is it, life, liberty, and the pursuit of... Okay, I'm glad three of us got the Declaration of Independence down there. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of... Happiness, right? We're all searching for happiness. We're going after this. A few weeks ago, I actually talked about this a little bit, but I'm, I'm really glad that we can dive into a biblical perspective, a biblical idea about this. So um, Aristotle, when he was talking about happiness, suggested that it is the goal of life. Aristotle thought that the goal of life was happiness. Now, ethicists who view happiness as the goal of life generally add that it cannot be attained directly, that you have to get it or attain it from some roundabout way, some other way. Now, as I was reading about this and studying about that's one thing I actually agree with these ethicists about, that, that you cannot attain true ultimate joy directly. There is, there is a work that goes on. There's 
I would even say a sanctification that happens that God does inside of us that changes us, that shifts our paradigm and then shows us what true ultimate joy, true ultimate happiness looks like. So as we study Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it's not going to be like this direct chasing of happiness. It's not going to be like step one is happiness. Step two is happiness. It's going to, we're going to look at this scripture and see kind of a perspective that, that I'm praying the Holy Spirit will change for us, that God would shift our paradigm on what ultimate joy, what real, true, biblical happiness looks like. So let's pray before we read God's word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that your word is true. And Father, as we've come here this morning to celebrate the resurrected Christ, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. Father, help us to not overlook, not become accustomed to, not to grow cold to the reality of Christ crucified for our sins. We come to you as as uh, Bill Gould said earlier, we come to you in confidence, but also, God, we come to you in great humility. Humility recognizing who we are and recognizing who you are. A gracious creator God who made a way for us through his son, Jesus Christ, who's forgiven our sins, covered in his blood, you see us in his righteousness. So, Father, come and have your way in our hearts. Change our minds today for your kingdom and for your glory. Help us to find true ultimate joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 12 of Hebrews starts out with the word therefore. And anytime you see a word, the word therefore in your Bibles, you need to find out what it's there for. So what we have previous here is what is often called the hall of faith, Hebrews 11, which mentions a, a bunch of, of heroes of the faith. If you were to look back at it, you would find Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. You have this long list of these heroes of the faith. And if we would go back and study these stories, you would see these supernatural works of God that, that only God could have done. You know, we are mostly familiar with the story of Moses and the parting of the Red Sea and, and all the, the plagues that were brought down from heaven and the exodus of God's people from captivity. And you could go through and read about Samson and how he destroyed armies, how he's so strong, and you'd see all of these great things that God did through them. But it's not only them, but we can also look at those who have gone before us and have given their lives. Or maybe they were tortured or persecuted, but have held on to the faith. I think it was Toby Mack that wrote a book uh, about the martyrs, and it's just a really powerful read where he brings out these stories of just people throughout the centuries who have given their lives for the cross, given their lives for the gospel and sharing the truth of Jesus Christ all over the world. But even now, there are Christians in our world today who are being persecuted, who are at risk of losing their lives even today. They're meeting, maybe they were meeting earlier this morning, late into the night, sneaking out, finding other believers, meeting as a church. They are risking their lives to gather together, to read God's word, to worship the one only true God, to worship Jesus. We can look at those people who are doing such 
amazing things even now. Uh, and they are testifying to the goodness and power of God. So there's the therefore. That's what it's there for. So therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, now the first thing I want to pull out of this short text here today, and like I said, this is going to be a journey, so stick with me on this. This is a process we're going to work through. The first one is this, is that God has a perfect track record. We can look back at the God we have surrendered to, the God we have laid our lives down before, the God that we surrender our will to, and we ask that His will would permeate our lives, we can look back at this, this God, our God's history, and see a perfect track record. Look at all that God has done through thousands of years of human existence. God has worked his will and way in the lives of his people. He has never missed the mark. He has never lied, never messed up, never missed the mark, and never failed. God has a plan that will never be thwarted or derailed. In his sovereignty and power, he rules, period. God has a perfect track record. And to prove this point, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11, look at all the lives of these people that God has used in world-changing ways. Look at it. You can look back at it. And you can actually talk to those around you that have lived out this life. Now, it's interesting as we think about that, we look back at the lives of those people I, I remember sitting in church one Sunday morning and hearing a pastor talk about King David. The Bible says that King David was a man after God's own heart. And this pastor kind of paints this picture of, of David as he's uh, tending to the sheep, as he was a shepherd. He would protect the sheep from lions and bears. And, and God calls him one day, and, and his, he's out to this battlefield. He's taking food to his brothers, and his brothers are at the battlefield against the Philistines, and there's this massive Philistine that everybody is terrified of. You've probably heard of him. His name's Goliath, right? He's this massive, monstrous man that everybody's terrified of. And David goes out there, and he sees this guy taunting his brothers and the armies of Israel, right? The, the armies of the one true God. David looks at this massive guy, and, and he sees him taunting his brothers. His brothers are taken on the sides, right, as this is going on, just freaking out. And David's just like beside himself, and he goes, what are you doing? We serve the one true God. And you guys know how the story goes, right? He goes to the brook and he gets some rocks and he gets a sling and he slays Goliath and cuts off his head. Like, woohoo, God is good, right? God is all powerful, right? And this pastor tells this story and he's like, David's amazing. David slays the giants in his life and you can slay the giants in your life. David was a man after God's own heart. He was the king of Israel. He was proving his path to the kingship. And we can look back at all of those, those lives. We could say Moses, or we could say Jephthah, or we could say all these other names that are listed there, and we could look at all the things that they did and make much of that. But that's not what he's talking about. 
I'll, I'll be the first pastor to say, David was a loser. He was an adulterer and a murderer. The point of David's story isn't how awesome David was in that he slayed Goliath, because let me tell you, it wasn't the skill of David that slayed Goliath. It was God's hands on the stones that slayed Goliath. It was God's hand on David doing all of those things. It was God's work in Moses doing all of those things. It's not these great men and women of God. It is the great God of these men and women. And the witness isn't the things that these men and women did. The witness is that God would use these broken, messed up people like Rahab the prostitute and do what he wants to do through them. That's the witness. If that doesn't excite you about Christianity, I don't know what can. Because what that means is, here's the good news, is that you're messed up and it's okay. God is going to use you because God used David. If God can, let me just say it, if God can use David, he can use anybody. The guy was a hot mess. If God can use Rahab the prostitute, he can use you. That's the witness. It's not the witness of this, the great men and women of God. No, it is the great God of these men and women. God in his grace and mercy comes down and is just God in my life and in your life. But I'll just tell you, man, you cannot slay the giants in your life. And we're not David in the story of Goliath. We're his brothers peeing our pants on the sideline. Jesus is David in that story. He's the one that went to the cross. He's the one that conquered sin and death. He slays the giants. Now that's good news. Because it's not on you. The very Spirit of God lives in you. And He will do those things. We are not David. Their lives are a witness to the greatness and goodness, the power and wisdom of God. There's nothing special about these people other than God worked through them. Not because they prayed the right prayer or made the right choices or lived in perfect holiness, but because they surrendered to God. Because they just gave their lives to Him. You know, I said David was an adulterer and a murderer, and he was. But you know what he did after that? He confessed and repented and went and just said, God, you see me, you know me, there's nothing hidden from you. Do what you will. Please forgive me. He says, he says in his repentance, he says, against you and you alone have I sinned, O God. Sure, he sinned against Bathsheba and her murdering her husband and sinned against his people by using his throne to get his, what, the lust of his heart. But, but what he gets is he gets this relationship with God that sin is first and foremost against a holy and perfect God. And he confesses it and knows it and surrenders to God. That's what God is after. God is after your heart. And isn't it good to know, church, that you don't have to pray the perfect prayer? You don't have to live a perfect life? You don't have to make all the right choices? You just have to surrender to Him. Live a life of humility and repentance 
set aside for God, to God, by God, and empowered by God. God isn't looking for perfection. He already has that. He is looking for surrender. A life poured out, 100% sold out for him. You may be out there just thinking, so what does that look like? Right? What does that look like? What does it say in the text? Run with endurance. That's the second filling in your notes today. Run with endurance. Put off and put on. Put aside things and run with endurance. It's this biblical principle we talked about before. Put off and put on. Lay aside and run with endurance. We put off sin. We lay it aside. Every weight. Now this is this Greek word onkos. It means impediment, hindrance, or obstruction. Anything that stands in the way of you pursuing God, set it aside, throw it away, delete it. Get rid of it. We don't deal with sin and temptation lightly. We take it seriously and we deal with it harshly. We lay it aside. Now that sounds really nice in the English, but let's just remember in the Greek, this is a strong statement. We delete it. We don't question it. We instantly run from it and get it out of our lives. He talks about this sin that entangles us, that so easily entangles us. This Greek word, Eupersteten. It means ambush. It's a sin that ambushes you or encircles you. Think about orca killer whales on the hunt for their prey. I don't know if you've ever seen the documentaries on these things. They're amazing hunters, and they'll hunt in pods, which eight to 12 in each pod, and they, they circle their prey. All of them. They just come around them, making the circle smaller and smaller. And, and then one of them will go way down to the deep unseen and then come up full speed and, and hit the prey, just knocking it almost unconscious. And as it lays there, the encircling ones just get on it and take it over. Just take it over. And that's how sin works. If we just play around with it, if we just don't deal with it, if we don't take it seriously... It's encircling us, this temptation, this, this sin that so easily entangles us. We look at it, and it's often that it's, it's, you know, it's 30 yards out there, and it's over there, and there's a couple over. Yeah, I see it, eh, but I'm not going to, it's not worth getting my, rid of my internet for, you know. I mean, it's, it's over there. I mean, it, it's not worth, like, driving a different route home to avoid. I mean, you know, I, it's out there, you know. I can have one drink or whatever it may be. It's out there. It's, it's, it's not. And all of a sudden, we're thinking it's all of a sudden. But in this long term, in this progressive work, there's this sin that comes up from the deep, knocks us out of the water, knocks us unconscious, and we're eaten alive. Because we don't deal with it like God tells us to deal with it. Harshly, quickly, instantly deleted gone out of my life, running for my life to Jesus, the one who slays the giant in my life of whatever it may be. What a picture of sin, ambushed, encircled. Have you ever felt ambushed by sin? I mean, maybe you're just watching videos on YouTube of the Olympics and some ad comes across your screen and catches you off guard and you're going, or maybe you're going through your Facebook friends requests and 
some friends request pops up that you've never, who's this person? Oh my goodness gracious, that's not a person at all. Maybe it's that extra piece of cake. You thought I was going to say cheesecake, didn't you? Or maybe it's those prideful thoughts or selfish actions or little white lies. So easy to get away with. What sin so easily entangles you? Do you have a plan or strategy? A way to delete it, deal with it harshly, get it out? Do you know what it is? Because here's the scary thing. The enemy of your soul, Satan knows what it is. He's not out there going, hmm, I wonder what I could get Matt with today. He already knows. He already knows. He knows. The enemy knows what sins entangle us. He knows the human heart and the struggle that we face. He is the enemy of our souls. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And here, this is, I hate to give away my entire sermon series, but I'm just going to give it to you right now. There is something going on beyond what you can see in this physical realm right now. Satan is real. Demons are real. There is an enemy of our soul that wants to just destroy us right now. And on what's going on behind what is seen is this war. There is a war waging for your soul right now. And if we don't put on our eyes that God has given us, eyes for eternity, eyes for where God is calling us to, if we don't put on that awareness, we can just walk around this earth La-ti-da, la-ti-da, everything's fine. All the while, behind the scenes, there's a strategy against your soul. And I, quite honestly, I just think that's where we're at. I'm going to speak generally now, so bear with me. Generally, as a church in America, that's where we are. We've lost sight of eternity. We've lost sight of the supernatural. This war that even it talks about all throughout the New Testament, you were saved from sin into a war that is going on. But we just live out our lives thinking everything's fine, la-ti-da. It's not going to suffice, church. It's not going to work. God has more for you. He has more for us. And if we're going to live out the calling that He's placed on our lives as a church, if we're going to plant other healthy churches, if we're going to reach the nations with the gospel, if we're going to support these missionaries that God's called us to, if we're going to reach North Canton with the gospel, we can't go on with the just day-to-day stuff. We have to go deeper. We have to be more dependent on Him. And that's where we're going in the text before I get too preachy on this. But that's where we're going. We cannot afford to handle sin and temptation like wimps. We can't afford to toy with it, play with it, or minimize it. We have to go full UFC, Olympic training, CrossFit crazy with it. Anybody ever here tried CrossFit? Most of you are much smarter than me. I, I tried CrossFit one time. I'll just tell you what, man. It's a bunch of blood, blisters, and bruises. It is painful, right? There's, we have Olympics going on right now, right? And you look at the trainings that these, these guys going through. And I, I've trained for a marathon before, man. It's, I'm telling you, it's blood, blisters, and rashes. Let me, it's awful. It's horrible. 
But if you want to win, if you actually, if you don't want to win, if you just want to finish your marathon, you're going to put in the hours. You're going to put in the work, right? Now, I, I don't know if you've seen any of these uh, commercials with these Olympians. I, there's one that I, I had to share with you as we're talking through this. Look at, the, look at this story about this Olympian. Appreciate that one. Right? I, 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 that's just one story of hundreds, right? Of these, these Olympians who are like giving their lives to this sport. To games. The Olympic Games. I'm moved by that. But church, what's on the line for you and me and those out there who don't know Jesus yet is a lot more than a gold medal. Somebody's eternity is at stake and we're just going around the day to day. We cannot afford it. We can't afford it anymore. We have to train like champions. We have to give our lives to Christ every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just Sunday mornings. God is calling us to more. We have to make those kinds of sacrifices. We are at war. And there's an eternity at stake, not some silly medal. An eternity at stake. Quit mailing in your spiritual training. Quit reading the cliff notes, cutting corners, or doing the least amount required. God has called you to more. If you're not using your gifts, if you're not serving in the church, if you're not joining a community group, if you're not active using the gifts that God has given you, the church is missing out. But more than that, you are missing out. You were created for a purpose that is so much greater, so much more amazing than competing in some Olympic games. You are created with a purpose to change the world. Think about this. If you were to share the gospel with one person that didn't know Christ, one pre-Christian, and they made a decision for Christ, you will have affected one soul, not just in the moment, but for all eternity. Do you believe that? I'm just, I'm going to ask you the question, do you believe that? Because if we really believe that, then we'd be doing it. We'd have to do it. In Mission View, we have to do it. Because there's something going on beyond the things that we see. There is something going on in the spiritual realm where God is working 
And God is doing things right around you. And if you just open your eyes, he's going to bring that neighbor to your face. He's going to bring that family member to your face, that coworker, that person that you go and hang out with and have fun with. He's going to bring them to you and they're going to ask you questions like, man, would you pray for me? I know you're different than all my other friends. I got this going on in my life right now. Would you pray for me? And you're just like, that's it. This is the opportunity. God's got to change this person's eternity. And I love the Olympics, but it's just games. When Paul tells us to train like Olympians, he's not talking about metal. He's talking about eternities. No one gets a pass. Jesus didn't just save you from sin. He saved you into his army. He didn't just save you from sin. He saved you to be a destiny changer. You may be sitting out there like, Matt, my life's a mess now. How can he use me to change somebody else's life? I bet you David said the same thing. God, my life's a mess. You know what Moses' response was? God, I can't do it. I got a speech impediment. I can't do anything. What are you thinking? You can't, I, you, obviously, you're not talking to me. Can you send somebody with me? <laughs> Isn't it good to know that Moses thought the same thought you had? I stand, I'm standing up here saying God wants to use you, and you're out there going, ah, man, you don't know me. Moses was like, God, do you really know me? Let me just say this. God knows you. He knows every weakness, every sin, every failure, every temptation that comes into your life. He's not surprised by anything you've done. And he loves you and he has purpose for you right now. Right now. Man, what is that purpose? What is it? Only you know. Only you can step out in faith, step into what God's called you to, and let God be God in your life. What is it? You'll find the joy of purpose, the joy of obedience, and the joy of using the gifts that God has given you. Just talk about all that. I get all excited and I hope that you're inspired, but what's going to be the real motivation behind it? I mean, what's going to carry you through? You know, what will carry you through to the Monday mornings and the Tuesday afternoons at 3 o'clock and the Wednesdays and the Thursdays and those hard weeks? What's gonna, what's, what can be like the, the energizer bunny, the battery that never dies? What's gonna, what can be the fuel for this that, that carries us through and really makes us and, and, and pushes us to where God wants us to be? We find it in the text. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's where our journey takes a turn. Here's where I hope that God 
shifts our paradigms because we're chasing happiness and we're looking for ultimate joy. And and God's about to tell you that the only place you're going to find ultimate joy, the only place you'll find lasting happiness is in Jesus Christ. You can look to people, places, or things. You can look to all that stuff out there, wealth and and, and power or whatever it may be, and it will all leave you wanting. And God says, I have the one thing that you need, and it is me. Only me. Looking to Jesus. The third felony notes is this. Jesus looked forward to the joy, and so do we. Jesus looked forward to the joy, and so do we. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He founded it. That means that he started it, formed it, pioneered it. And because he did this, we can now walk this path as well. It was him who breathed life into dead, dry bones and brought to life the lifeless and gave faith to the faithless. Not only did he pioneer it, not only did he found it, he perfected it. He lived it out perfectly, without mistake, without failure. He was and is and always will be perfect. We look to that pioneering perfection with joy because we're invited into it. Our ultimate and lasting joy, (coughs) excuse me, is found in Christ the founder and perfecter of our faith. We have that perfection poured out on us at the cross. So no matter what you've done or where you've been, no matter how far from Christ you feel that you have gone, there is nothing you've done, there's no sin greater than the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. Did you hear me on that? There is no sin you've committed that is more powerful than the powerful working of Jesus on the cross for you and me. So we look to Jesus. We look to that pioneering perfection with joy because he's invited us into it. Our ultimate and lasting joy is found in Christ. Not only that, but we're invited into relationship with him. He didn't just die on the cross for our sins. He invites us into this lasting relationship where we pour out our lives for him and he he invades our lives. And we start seeing the giants in our lives fall like Goliath did. And not because we're good with a slingshot but because God is powerful and God is faithful. And we find ourselves going from slaves to sin to slaves to righteousness. We go from an eternity destined in hell to an eternity in heaven. We have been chosen. You have been set aside. You are predestined for your creator. And true, lasting, unrelenting, and ultimate joy can only be found in Christ. 
Because of the, th- the things of this world will always let you down, but the work of Christ for our salvation lasts for eternity. So how can we, how can we get this motivated? How, how do we let that happen? How do we work that into our lives, this motivation that moves us and, and propels us forward in this chasing of joy or chasing of happiness, we chase Christ. And we go to the cross. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, is inviting you to look to the joy that is set before you. Don't get caught up in the menial, in the temporary, in this world, because this is not your home. We are aliens here. And our true home is with Christ in heaven. Don't get distracted. Keep these temporary things in their place. Deal with them, work through them, but fully motivated for eternity. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. God, I just pray that you would change our hearts, change our perspective, shift our paradigm, shift it towards eternity, so that like Christ, for the joy that is set before us, we can endure all things And we can have your joy. Because we know who wins the war. We know who's won. And it is Jesus. So come and have your way in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to give you a couple quick verses before I sing our last song. To encourage your study time this week. Matthew 6, 19-21. If you want to write that down. 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. In Philippians 3, 20 through 21. There's more that they can put up on the screens and you can write those down too, but I just wanted to give you some verses to really meditate on as you look to Christ and you look to the joy that is set before you. Let's sing this last song together.